establishing those habits of being highly active during my workday is, I think, one of the things that allows me to, to continuously be successful in this industry. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Kimberly Lapel. Kim is the SVP and Managing Director of Scientific Search. In addition to her operational function, she still runs a full desk, along with managing a team of 28 recruiters. During the 14 years that Kim has been with Scientific Search, she has successfully placed people in clinical and commercial uh, operations, manufacturing, engineering, R&D, analytics, and many other areas within pharmaceutical, life science, med device, healthcare, technology, and consumer packaged goods. 2022 was a record year for Kim, billing over $1.4 million personally, in addition to onboarding and developing junior recruiters. Kim's also joined the Pinnacle Society, which is a consortium of the top 80 recruiters in the U.S. And Kim's consultative approach and her client development skills have allowed her to continue to grow with the organization and increase her client base year after year. Kim holds an MBA and a Bachelor of Science in Business Management. She has two daughters, four grandchildren, and a house full of uh, furry kids as well. Kim, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. So you, yeah, you were referred to me by Kathy Stewart, who has yeah. also been on the show. How do you know Kathy? From Pinnacle. Uh, she is amazing. And uh, it was an honor that she thought of me to be referred into the podcast for sure. Great. Yeah, she is a has a big personality yeah, as well. Yeah, she's great. So she was a lot of fun. Um, how did you get, so you've been in recruiting for 25 years in total, I think? Yeah, just a little over that now. Yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. How did you first get into recruitment? Uh, believe it or not, a newspaper ad out of college. Had no idea what I was applying for. Um, said new, new grads with a business degree, uh, send your resume in. Um, and I got a call back and was looking for an opportunity to start my career and started in home care staffing. And then Fantastic. grew from there. It's hilarious. Do you remember what the ad said? It literally, I think all it said was new grads with business degree send resume because obviously you paid by the word, right? So there was very little <laughs> in the ad. I had no idea even until I went for the interview because there was no internet really at that point um, to look up companies or do any research. So I went in blind and thought, I can do this. So <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Do you know, I... I responded to a newspaper ad to get my first recruitment job as well. And the thing that stood out to me, but it was a display ad, so it was a little bigger. Okay. And uh, it had, a, like, I don't remember the content of the ad, but what grabbed my attention was the on-target earnings of 43,000 pounds, which <laughs> to me at the time, I was in my early 20s, it was, right. it was late 90s. And that seemed like a mind boggling amount of money. Right. To me. I was like, wow, imagine if I could earn 43,000 pounds. And um, and then I went along for the interview and the guy, I'm still friends with on Facebook, Brian Jemmett was like, well, yeah, that's realistic in the end of year two, right? That so that wasn't even- more right, yeah. You know, <laughs> exa yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, okay. But anyway, so there we go. Um, so this show, Kim, is called The Resilient Recruiter, and I know your journey to the top of our profession has, you know, you faced your share of challenges. And yeah. I know you shared with me that 
you were a single mom at 18 and had to, you know, find a way to make a life for, for yourself and your kids. Could you talk a little about that and how that um, has yeah. had an impact on your, you know, your career choices? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when you're in that situation, you, you really don't know what you're going to do. Um, but I knew one thing was that I needed to find a way to make a living where my income didn't depend on someone else's choices. And I have never actually worked a position where I didn't get commissioner tips, we'll say, because I waited tables for years. Um, but I knew that the harder I worked, the more money I made in those environments. And that was the only environment that was going to allow me to, to really be able to provide for my children. So it was a long road. Um, and once I got into it, I realized how difficult it was going to be and how many hours it was going to take. But I knew that I was doing something that was both providing for my family as well as impacting others' lives. And at the end of the day, there's only so many hours. So if I can combine all that in one, that was the way for me to go. So um, I started in home care staffing. It was rough. A lot of call hours. A lot of long nights, um, you know, replacing nurses at the last minute when they call out. And I didn't even know this type of recruitment existed. Um, I was looking for a new opportunity. I was kind of capped where I was and found this type of recruitment um, in a very male-dominated industry back then. And um, again, was faced with a new set of challenges, which was how was I going to make a mark as a female? and continue to develop without having to move jobs. Um, and that's where my career track started here with kind of forging my own way and creating roles for myself within the organization that continue to fulfill me while still letting me earn an amazing income. Um, and I don't regret it for a single day. It's been an amazing journey. That's so cool for on so many levels. Um, Thank you. One being like the, just the the motivation and the you know your purpose that drove you to kind of find recruiting as a profession. I think everyone can relate to. We talk a lot in our coaching group about you know knowing your why and yes you know like Simon Sinek's book Start with Why and how purpose. If you can tap into that, it's such a huge. A it helps to you to be, you know, find your drive and motivation and, you know, uh, be able to overcome obstacles. But also it's a very attractive quality. If you know what you want and why it's important to you and how this fulfills some kind of a greater meaning apart from just getting jobs, filling jobs, et cetera, then it's that almost is like, it's almost um, non-verbally you know, people can detect that you really believe in what you do and both clients and candidates and potential team members who might want to join your team as well. Um, can you speak a little more about, you mentioned forging your own career path. How, how sure. did that develop? So when I joined the organization almost 15 years ago, there were, I think, six or eight of us, um, two women, the rest were gentlemen, um, and we all kind of just worked. There was no um, hierarchy per se. There was no, you know, the way you grew or developed within the company was in your billing. 
and we continued to, to develop and grow a little bit. I started mentoring junior recruiters as they came in. And I got to a point in billing where I said, you know, without more people or without process or without something scalable, this is all I can do in the amount of hours that are in the day. I, I, I can't get to a million dollars in what we do because I'm doing everything from start to finish at the desk. Um, so we started looking at operate. Well, I started looking at opportunities for us to develop and grow the business in a structured environment with processes in place, increasing technology, adding automation, adding researchers, um, things along those lines. But in turn with me doing that, I naturally rose into more of a leadership role within the organization. Um, it was never, I never looked at uh, leadership as something that you got and then did, but it was always something that you did and everything else kind of follows. Um, you know, you do the job and then you get the job, kind of old school philosophy, I guess. And um, the more I led and the more I structured our organization, the more I spent time creating processes and trainings, the more I grew within the organization and took on more of a leadership role naturally. Amazing. I love that. And it it is so logical. Could you say a little more about what were the changes that you introduced, sure. whether it's from the point of view of the organization structure or the technology that you, you know, embraced yeah. and that kind of thing? Like what were the pivotal improvements that you've made along the way that you think have had the biggest impact? One is that we realize that every person is different that joins the organization. So before you came in, you worked a desk and, and that was what happened. Um, now we have people, you know, I really spent time structuring the organization to play into people's strengths. So if someone wants to do business development and is good at business development, then we work with them on business development. If they want to run a full desk, then they can run a full desk. If they only want to recruit forever and never, ever talk to clients, never do business development, that's okay if they're really good at recruitment. We don't need to shove a round peg into a square hole to, to fulfill some type of track. Um, so we started building out different career paths for people. You can achieve a manager level based on billing, or you can achieve a manager level based on direct reports. Um, instituting researchers to take administrative work off of our plates, where it just doesn't make sense if I'm billing a million dollars to be looking up email addresses for two hours a day, where if you support me in that and bring in support staff to help us, that's going to increase the overall billing. Also, segmenting so that the owner wasn't bombarded with everyone directly reporting to him. So creating a structure where it allowed people less time dealing with the minutia of the day-to-day -day and more time in what was revenue producing or business-related activity. And then the last thing we really worked on was client development. Uh, we had a lot of clients that would you know, come to us for a shift or a position here or there, and then one of the things we worked on was that consultative approach and no longer being niched by discipline, but being niched by industry. Working with different recruiters in the company to develop them in specific niches within that industry. So a company can come to me and I have 28 recruiters 
all with different backgrounds, all with different areas of specialization, but they have just me to contact. And then I make sure the right people handle their searches in the background. I make sure that they're taken care of the way that we believe that they should be within our organization. And we work uh, very closely with the clients on extending their voice into the market. A lot of very close collaboration, becoming embedded in organizations to the best of our ability, um, and making sure that our clients know that they can depend on us, that we're not here just for the fee. Love it. Okay. That's all makes good sense. Following up on a few things you said, first sure. of all, um, regarding the different career paths that you have available. Mm-hmm. So someone could do 360 if they're good at that, or they may just choose to focus on business development or, you know, the client, the, the candidate side, sorry, on the, on the recruiting. Um, and I can... So I, I like that. Is there's a flexibility so that yeah. it's not rigid. If someone wants to do a full desk, they can, but there's other there's other options. Um, and I had uh, Pri Sarkar on the show recently, who's mm-hmm. another Pinnacle member, yeah. and he's got this 120 model where he's got research and data. He's got you know client development and he's got candidates um and that's working really really well for him Th- this is the thing with the recruiting industry there's not one right way of doing this right, right. there's you know you have to create a model that it that works for for your business um but my i guess my question about if you have people who are purely candidate um focused and then like you your industry or the overall economy gets into difficulty mm-hmm. then how do you uh, leverage those people's time effectively so that they're still productive if for example the job flow uh, significantly decreases it's a great question and and very uh timely, right? With not sure where we're going to go. One of the things that we do do with the recruiters is let them know that if that comes down to it, they may need to get on the phone and generate business. Um, And the way that we work with them on that to make sure that that's something that can happen is they are in every client call, every client meeting with me for their searches. They're on every email correspondence. So the clients know them, they've interacted with the clients, so they understand the way to interact with clients. And in addition to that, we do morning trainings twice a week, and one of them is specific on sales, yet all everyone has to attend. So it gives them little samples, they hear ways that we overcome objections for contracts or how to deal with a tough search, or we're, we're very close knit. So they know how to work a client, how to work a search, and what they're looking for. Um, So it wouldn't be out of character for them to be able to jump on the phone. And those that are willing to do that will, you know, they'll weather the storm if there is one coming up. Um, We're very fortunate in the life sciences that, you know, knock on wood, medicine needs to happen no matter what the economy is like. Um, So thankfully. We have been through, you know, I personally, my younger staff, obviously, has never been through one, but I've been through several and we've come out just fine. Um, The owner always says, you know, those are the times where we pull a paycheck, but we don't have a wheelbarrow full of money. Um, So, you know, you still make a decent living. It's not like we won't have enough. It's just we work a little bit smarter and, and kind of 
monitor how they're feeding us leads? You know, are they asking people other places they've interviewed? Are they getting that information that I need to make sure that I can keep their desk full? Great, great answer. Um, it totally makes sense. And I like the, uh, I love the fact that they have access to a, the um, client interaction. Yes. So they're comfortable and confident dealing with cl- clients, even though it's not their primary responsibility, right. and also that they get to attend all the trainings. My friend, uh, Joel Slenning, who's contributed to to my uh, coaching community significantly, um, who, who scaled and sold a couple of businesses now, <clears throat> and he's doing it again, um, he has like the... Um, split desk model. So he's got, right. you know, the, the client side and the candidate side, but everybody who joins his business goes through the full three full desk, through the full three full desk training. Mm-hmm. So everybody at, when they first join and they go through his kind of academy, um, they have to learn the full desk, even if they're ultimately going to be focused on candidates, because he thinks it's really important that they have the, just a complete understanding yes. of the whole business and they understand their part in it and how it contributes, sorry, contributes to the overall, you know, placement process. And uh, it does give more career flexibility as well if they want to cross over yeah. or, or switch at any stage in the future. I think that's so important. I think there's um, a mindset in communicating with a client that's very different than when you communicate with a candidate. And one of the things we we work on is that like you worded it this way because that's what the candidate said, but here's how you position that to a client so that they understand from, you know, you have to think from both perspectives. So we work a lot on that so that the transition isn't as rough if they choose to do that. Makes, makes sense. Absolutely. So you've got the organization structure, you've alluded to the training. What other, um, innovations or changes have you introduced, Kim, that have enabled you? Because like billing close to one and a half million dollars in a year is phenomenal. There are very few um, recruiters who ever managed to achieve that. What do you think are the, you know, the critical success factors? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's a couple things that happen in, in this industry. And Um, depending on how you look at your client base, how you structure your book of business has a big impact on that. One of the things I've always been very cognizant of um, after my first year or two was that, you know, early on, I had all my eggs in one basket. I had a client that was feeding me business constantly. I was billing, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars there a year and they went away. And um, I've made sure that I've never allowed that to happen again. Um, I think one of the other things is too, I like diversity in my jobs, meaning that I like jobs that are 60K and jobs that are 150K and in between because it allows my recruiters to make placements consistently. And that dopamine hit, you know, there's nothing a placement can't fix, uh, <laughs> keeps them motivated and hungry and it, and it doesn't allow them to go for gaps of time where they don't have, cause we're mainly all direct hire. And you know, if you're doing very high level searches and that's all you're doing and you miss one of them, could be a really yeah. rough quarter. So 
uh, you know, by keeping them on a variety of jobs at different levels, keeps them engaged and active in their searches, allows them to speak to different people, and allows me, obviously, to to make more placements. Um, I think delegating was huge. Um, it was a difficult learning curve for me as I grew. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm abnormal that you know, most of us are A-type personalities and we're control freaks in what we do. And that's probably why we're good at this. Uh, but, um, you know, I needed to learn to hand off things that were not allowing me to reach my goals of over a million. And um, making sure that I empowered people. And, you know, I was just joking with somebody the other day about the whole teach them to fish kind of philosophy. I can give you the answer, but if you test the answer back to me and we work through it, then next time you're not going to need my help and you're going to grow and get more confident and, and be able to do more, which in turn allows me to bill more. Um, I do enjoy managing people and I think that's helpful. I have a large group of direct reports, which to a lot of people is like, you know, I would never want to do that, but that also contributes to my billing because that, that 1.4, 1.5 was just sales side. So it, you know, in actuality, it's 3 million. And, um, so by having more direct ports, having more people that can, um, you know, work jobs and develop them and empower them with me being the client facing person and empowering the recruiters to do what they do best, I'm able to, to bill more. Fantastic. So the first thing you mentioned was building your book of business. So you're not over-reliant on a small number of accounts. And this is such a fatal mistake that I see recruiters make over and over, even like really smart people. And yes. I'm like, no, yes. you know, in our, in our client group, like in 2021 and 2022, when the market was just insane and there was so much demand, mm-hmm. people were like just constantly in delivery mode. And right. me and my colleague Leanne are constantly telling our clients, listen, you always need to be developing business, even, you know, when you've got a lot of, uh, of jobs and people say, yeah, yeah, I know. But then they, <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't do it. And then, uh, the market slows or, or the demand like right now it, it's a, it's a strange, well, let's, we'll talk about the market in a minute. Very but strange. A, lo- <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of, um, a lot of people are, are seeing the shift where they now need to do more business development. Yeah. Whereas but but then it's hard if you just keep yeah. keep going. It's a bit like going to the gym. I think like if you are going regularly, it's just a normal. It's like a habit, and it's just sure. part of your weekly routine. Sure. But then if you don't go for a couple of years, and you have to, oh, but boy, I better get back in shape. Then it feels like really Such hard an work undertaking. at that point. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that was interesting. You also mentioned how you like to have things. Um, in terms of like your average fee size, there's quite a lot of variety there. Yes. Um, from, you know, mid-level to senior level searches. Um, I forgot to ask, what, what is your model as far as do you work on a retained basis or is it contingent? Like what's the setup? We are um, probably right now about 80% direct hire, 20% contract. And that's right. 
based on the market. There are times where we're 50-50, 60-40. And out of that, we're probably 90% contingent. Um, Interesting. I would say out of that 90, though, probably 50%, maybe a little bit higher, is contingent exclusive. Yes. And that's just through client development. They just don't call anybody else if you take care of them well. Um, Mm -hmm. We do have some retained and some engaged searches. Uh, we do have people here that prefer those type, you know, that go after those types of searches. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel the contingent keeps me sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's not always a popular opinion as we get later in our career. I know a lot of Pinnacle does nothing but retained. Um, I like the competition. I like proving that that we are different than the average recruiting firm. I like going up against another firm and sh- and my staff knowing that they won that one or why they lost it. I think it builds character. Um, so I I don't mind the, the contingent end, but I do work very hard to make sure that eventually we're the only company that they're working with. I think that's, well, to me, that is um, a prerequisite. If I'm gonna work with a client, it would have to be minimum exclusive. I'll tell you why, Kim. Like I discovered pretty early on, I'm too slow, and mm. I'm quite methodical in the way I do things. Okay. And also, I, 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 I insist on doing things a certain way. And for example, talking to a candidate before submitting them oh, yeah. seems like obvious to me. But there are companies who will, especially in a race, if it's a contingent uh, multi-agency you know, scenario, they'll just skip that part. Sure. And then you present the candidate having thoroughly interviewed the, 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 sorry, you thoroughly interviewed the candidate. You then, you know, present the the client as to why they're a good fit. And the client's like, oh, we are, we already have this resume. Right. And you're like, oh, but the candidate hasn't been spoken, spoken. to by anyone else. So that to me was intolerable. I just couldn't accept mm-hmm. that. And, uh, and then the second thing, the reason then eventually I went retained was you could do everything right, Kim, uh-huh. and the client can then go, oh, actually, never mind. We don't need that after all, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? We've just spent three weeks working on that. And, yeah. you know, I had so umpteen conversations. Right. And they, you know, so to me, it's not an equal relationship uh, sure. where you're mutually committed to seeing the, you know, to getting the the outcome. But um, I, I recognize it's not the only it's yeah. not the only business model. It was the, the right one for me, and sure. it's one I'm I'm uh, I'm keen on. Um, when you mentioned delegating, mm-hmm. what are some of the types of things that you learned to delegate in order to be more productive yourself? Um, I think you know I take the customer service aspect of client development to a level that. I don't think a lot of people do. Like we schedule all their interviews for them. We do a lot of things to um, provide an added service, which allows the company to then look at us as part of the organization. And, and it really does allow us a, a different view into the company. Um, so for example, I there's no way I could schedule every team's interview for every one of my recruiters and send out the invites to all the correct parties and organize all of that. So there, we have somebody that does that. She is my lifeline. Um, and also I managed all our tech platforms. 
um, you know, I'm still interfacing with the salespeople and still choosing the tech that we use, but I cannot train everyone on every tech platform or answer every question every day. Um, I have a staff from the age of 23, maybe to 70. Um, So very different learning, you know, changes to, to technology and adaptation challenges and things along those lines. So I am, um, I'm very cognizant of the time that that takes. And I want people to feel comfortable asking those questions and getting the support they need. I just don't have the bandwidth for it. So I need to be on the phone with clients. Um, I need to be making sure that we have enough business. I need to be making sure operationally, um, keeping an eye on KPIs and things like that. So I have somebody that, um, same person that schedules the interviews. She is responsible for our tech platforms, troubleshooting things for people. Um, we run automation now, you know, uh, just drip campaigns and things like that, that, um, the researchers manage so the recruiters don't get bogged down with that. So, um, basically anything that's not money-making activity from, you know, obviously interviews are, but the scheduling part of it or looking at operational efficiency or strategy for the company, I, I try to, to hand off. Love it. So that's a good criteria. So if it's not directly revenue generating, and if it's not of strategic importance in terms of creating operational efficiency, then you try and delegate as many other things as possible. If you're a recruitment business owner, you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology. But how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients? Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team, not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop a retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation, plus you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. I like the fact that you have resource who can um, you know, manage your tech platforms. I'd love to talk about that in a second because that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh, Me too. topics that I geek out over. Yeah. And... Um, what so actually it would probably help to understand within your business what are the we've talked about already you have three different career paths for people who are going to be front uh office staff so you know your recruiters your business developers and your 360 consultants but then in terms of the support team mm-hmm. what does that look like 
Yeah, that that's interesting. We realized uh, after we started bringing on researchers, like, well, what do we what do we do when they want a promotion or, you know, they want more responsibility? Again, that's a tailored approach. Um, so Mackenzie um, that I'm referencing that handles a lot of those things for me, she joined thinking that she wanted to be a recruiter. Mm-hmm. We uh, started the training for that and she hated it absolutely couldn't stand the thought of picking that phone up one more time. But she's amazing. She's very efficient and she loves operational type tasks. So I, you know, I met with the owners and we looked at the opportunity to to offload a lot of what was preventing me from building the business further. And uh, they were incredibly supportive and we made Mackenzie sort of an operational lead um, so that she can handle all of those things. And then the other researchers report to her. So that gave her the leadership role that she was looking for. She's a very diverse day. It keeps her very engaged and always challenges her. I have two researchers that are, are young, under a year in the business, um, right out of college. And honestly, they don't know what they want to do. They don't know if they want to recruit. They don't know if they want to keep developing in, you know, research work. Um, and that's okay. And they know that we meet with them quarterly. And if there's a point in time where they're not feeling challenged or fulfilled, or they want to try to get involved in something else, let me know. Um, one handles social media. Uh, one of my researchers was one of my top recruiters last year and she didn't love it and took a step back and Mm, decided to be a researcher. And she's phenomenal at it. Um, She was great at finding candidates. She just didn't like the grind of getting to the candidate Um, Mm -hmm. and the phone work. You know, some people just don't, don't love talking to people all day. Um, So she's a researcher, but I do lean into her for some higher level tasks, whether Mm -hmm. it's um, looking up contact info and developing out clients for me or, we have them call candidates to schedule them with us because it frees up the recruiters at times to make those appointments for them. Um, so Great. there's a lot of different things they can do, um, but they, again, don't have a set career path. Um, that is up to them what they want to take on and how they want to grow. And we realize that that could create a point in time where we don't have something that will fulfill them. And at that point, I am more than happy to help them find that. Um, you know, if if they're not happy, I want them to be because, you know, we spend too much time working not to love what we do. So great. Like that. That's excellent. Um Let's st- let's talk about technology. You mentioned yeah. you leveraging automation, and what what are the tech platforms that you have found to be the most um, beneficial for your business? So I'm on the tech committee at Pinnacle, so I also geek out over this. This is absolutely right. my favorite topic. Um, I have over the years developed a, a very efficient tech stack, but I'm always learning and always adding new things, which is so much fun. Um, obviously, we use LinkedIn Recruiter. Um, we use, uh, you know, Zoom info, a lot of the, the biggies, but a couple of the things that I think that, um, were game changers for us was, uh, one of them being, um, we just started using bullhorn automation. Mm-hmm. Um, so other, there's other things out there. It used to be called Herefish, um, yep. and bullhorn automation purchased it and realizing that 
anything we work with, integrating it with our CRM is critical because of the documentation yes. aspect. Um, yeah. I'm a big beta person. I love to test new things. And mm-hmm. um, I was on the beta testing committee for Zoom Info's Engage platform and their new Talent mm-hmm. OS. Spent hours with the developers um, working on perfecting that. Um, so we do use Engage a lot in Talent OS. One of my very favorite tools that is pretty new that a lot of people um, have never heard of. So I'll, I'll give a shout out to Tim Walker at 3DIQ. Um, and 3DIQ is a um, platform that does integrate with Bullhorn, but can be used standalone that um, packages your candidates very nicely. I can't think of how many times all of us have been upset that we spend time typing a presentation and we send it somewhere and we know that somebody just sends the resume to the hiring manager and doesn't send our information. Right. Or we don't know who's opening our, you know, they say, oh, we never got it or we didn't mm-hmm. see that. Or so 3DIQ integrates with Bullhorn, um, like I mentioned, or standalone, but it embeds your presentation and the resume into one page. Mm-hmm. It puts your logo on the page. It embeds your contact info on the page. And you know, every time they open the link. That's so, handy. Yes. So um, for example, this, not this week, the week before, over the weekend, I had a client opening. I can't even tell you how many presentations for a search we did a few months ago. And huh. then they put the search on hold. And sure enough, I followed up on Monday after I saw that, and we have four interviews scheduled because the search came off hold. No, That's cool. Without that, I would have never known. Right. Um, in addition to that, by clicking a few buttons in that platform, it tracks all of your notes. It puts all of your notes directly into the, the CRM, and we all know as recruiters, we're terrible with documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, it also moves them from one stage to another. And... That's another part where my recruiters were not always remembering to do that. And then on the actual platform, when the client receives the resume, there's a section where they can score the candidate and give you resume or interview availability immediately. So they can be home watching TV, going through their emails on their cell phone, and immediately I get their interview feedback, what they like about the candidate and when they want us to schedule them. Um, and it does turn around the time from presentation to interview, but significantly, I mean, we've had an amazing response to the platform. That's really cool. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. It's fun. Um, and so how could you describe the, your process, like how all the technology fits together yeah. in a way that is saving you guys time? Yeah, that was probably harder than the choosing of the tech. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. making it all integrate together. Yes. Um, yeah. So we went through and um, practiced a lot of different processes. Um, and then recently we realized that a lot of people were doing things differently um, and not all as effectively. It was actually taking them more time because it wasn't mm-hmm. streamlined. Um, so we started using OneNote in Microsoft and mm-hmm. creating almost like a little binder for each job. And in that binder, there's a what to do when you get a search. 
and it goes through the steps of automation that you should be using and when you should be using them. Um, and then, so if, as long as they go through and follow that, and obviously I put little checkbox because we all like to check things off and feel <laughs> yeah. like we accomplished something, right? right. Um, so the other thing was I took the majority of the automation out of the recruiter's hands and moved it to the researchers. Smart. So the recruiters just have a form that they fill out, just a Word doc um, with a couple spots, and then they email that to the researcher. The researcher then sets up the automation, monitors it, reruns it, does lets the recruiter know when it needs to be updated um, because the recruiters are just, that's just not what we do. That's more of a transactional function than a business or sales function. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is they the researchers are empowered to follow up with the recruiters that they support multiple times throughout the week asking Hey, do you need me to do, you know, where are we with this search? So Excellent. nagging prompting. in other words. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Gently That's nagging. <laughs> so, um, but yes, it, that, I, I do believe that was my, one of my mm-hmm. biggest challenges with technology was creating a process that allowed everyone to feel comfortable, not overwhelmed, um, and allowed them to kind of like you said about the gym, Right to allow it to become something that's second nature. Here's my checklist. I keep it on my desk. I, when I get a search, I go to it. It doesn't matter if it's my first search or my you know thousandth. If yeah. I do these things and then do what I know to do, there's, there's a magic in the combination of those two. Totally. This is brilliant, uh, Kim. I, we In our coaching program, we have six pillars of a seven-figure recruitment business. And... One of the six pillars is operations, and the goal is to make your business run like a well-oiled machine, yes. leveraging systems, process, and technology. And um, it's the weak, it's the kind of the Achilles heel for most recruiters and recruitment business owners. Yes. It's not their forte, and they don't like thinking about it necessarily, but it can just make your life so much easier and also support you to increase your billings. Um what, so we kind of do a similar thing as the checklist you mentioned. Mm-hmm. We don't use OneNote. We use, well, in our in my business, we use Asana, which is like a project management Yes, I love Asana. Tool. We've been looking and at it. So, um, but it allows you to do those checklists or you can have a board view as well, if you like the Kanban board of moving things from one column sure. to the next. But uh, I, th- I think it's really valuable. All of our listeners should, in terms of an action point from what Kim just said, actually, either if you're a solo do yourself or if you have a team, get everyone together and whiteboard what are all the steps in our placement process and just get clear on, you know, because people shouldn't really be doing it differently. Of course, everyone has a different personality and the way of communicating, but the actual steps they follow should be the same across the business, right? Absolutely. So you create your, you know, this is the, let's say, scientific search way of filling mm-hmm. a job and it's got these number of steps. And then the next part is you figure out, are there any of these steps we can automate? Yes. You know, and maybe we're doing it manually at the moment and maybe we could automate that to save time and make it more scalable. And then, you know, who's doing which step, for example, if it's finding contact information, maybe that's the researcher who's doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's, uh, starting the automation, then maybe that's, again, the researcher. If it's, mm-hmm. you know, following up and calling candidates, maybe that's the recruiter and so on. And then everybody knows 
what their job is in the process. And it just, again, it more like a well-oiled machine than, you know, uh, spinning plates. Absolutely. I, I think um, that's incredibly important. <laughs> so you mentioned you use bullhorn automation. Mm-hmm. Um, where does bullhorn automation and the Zoom Engage platform, how, how does that work? How do you, yeah. Yeah. So um, Bullhorn Automation, we we weren't using Bullhorn Automation until recently. We were using a different platform that we were struggling with, um, and we recently switched. So I anticipate um, there will be some shift in how I use Engage right now. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with any automation that functions off your database is it's difficult to remove people once the process starts Mm, where engage does a very good job Mm -hmm. of when they reply they automatically come out of that engagement yes um so that's why i typically use engage for business development Mm -hmm. because i don't want to bother a client if they've already replied um where with the candidates the recruiters are automatically going in and shifting their stage because they don't want to call the same person again, or, you know, they're trying to get them out of their list to, to pan down their, their hot list. So that change in the system allows that automation to work properly. So it seems that that's much more effective for a candidate outreach. It's also Mm -hmm. really great bullhorn automation for like our newsletter, um, surveys to our clients. We do post-placement surveys and things like that. Um, So that's all great in automation because it documents and all of that. But from a basic drip campaign Mm -hmm. of reaching out to clients, I find Engage to be a little bit cleaner for me. This episode is brought to you by Recruitment Entrepreneur. If you've dreamed of starting your own business or If you've already got a successful firm and you want to grow more rapidly, then pay close attention. Recruitment Entrepreneur are the number one investors in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. They provide everything you need to grow your business, including the funding and financial expertise, operational strategy and back office support, and marketing and talent attraction solutions. Led by James Kahn, they've already invested in 45 businesses and you could be their next joint venture partner. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC is in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. By the way, we should probably just explain a little more uh-huh. what we're talking about sure. because it occurred to me some people may not be familiar yes. with this concept at all. So what you're talking about, when you say a drip campaign, you mean it's an email sequence. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's uh, we're like for Engage, you're using it for business development. So Correct. you would have a list of target uh, clients mm-hmm. and you would have a sequence of messages that are being sent to those clients right. uh, in order to you know, um, ideally spark a conversation, yeah. get them to reply so you can book a call with them. Sure. And of course, then if they reply, you would, they would be removed from the sequence. Right. Right. And, uh, I think that's, I mean, that, that's 
very, very effective. I think everybody, sh- if you're not already doing something like this, you need to figure it out. Yes. It's something we spend, you know, it's a big topic in our, in our coaching community. We have, you know, coaching sessions dedicated to it and, 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 uh, training videos and stuff. Question for you about engage, because so, by the way, in our program, we have like a member tool directory so that okay. people share what is their tech stack and sure. people can see what each other is using and then call someone and say, Hey, Kim, unless you're using Zoom Engage, how do you find it? And, right. you know, you're creating that um, peer learning um, and, and uh, sharing, um, sharing data. Um, the feedback I've heard is that Zoom Info is obviously excellent for the data side of it, mm-hmm. but that the Engage platform, the delivery de- deliverability of the emails was poor compared to other platforms. So one guy in our program had tested uh, Zoom Engage, the same message, uh, and got much lower open rates than he had with another platform. I just wondered what your what yeah, experience with that, that was. That's very accurate. Um, I think part of it is it comes through it, you know, you're not warming a separate domain. Um, and, and what I mean Ah, by that for those that aren't sure is that the emails in engage are going through your normal inbox. So they're in my sent items. They're from my email address where some of our other Mm -hmm. marketing initiatives, we purchase other domains such as scientific search io or scientific search.co for for the listeners that may not know what that means and those are warmed and handled in a way that allow for a higher deliverability so uh, knowing that we do things in two different ways so one is our general marketing for the company that goes through those other domains that we get a higher deliverability i use engage so Anybody in our database is going to get those company marketing materials. Yep. I use Engage as a reinforcement to that, to a hot list. So I may take 10 clients a month and really work to get into those 10 clients. So if it was my only way to contact everyone that I'm reaching out to, it would not be efficient. You're absolutely right. Um, But what I found is that with recognizing my name coming from multiple ways, I am getting some response to engage. Um, Is it the, the highest return on investment? It comes with my Zoom info, so it's part of the package. So it makes sense to utilize it. Um, But I'm noticing that it's part of a multi-prong approach to get clients, right? Some of them are going to get my email, some aren't. Sometimes it's the way I write the email too, but the deliverability part, the person that mentioned that is absolutely correct. The deliverability is not as, as good. Through engage. We're getting really geeky now. Yeah, again. right. Like <laughs> hilarious. We, you know, email warming and all that yeah. stuff we talk about in our, in our group. Um, so, you, you mentioned writing of the emails, and this yeah. is another area that recruiters can sometimes struggle with. And Absolutely. Um, it is a skill in its own, just like telephone marketing is a skill, writing effectively in a way that yeah. makes people want to respond to you is a skill as well. How have you developed that 
skills so that when you're reaching out to a candidate about a job or a client about your service or maybe an NPC, you're wording the email message in such a way that it's compelling and people, you know, yeah. people respond. So they, they tease me here that I'm the wordsmith of the company. So um, to be honest, that part, I know, I know what you mean. And, and the majority of my staff struggle very heavily with that. Um, it is not something that I had an issue with. Um, I actually enjoyed the market shift from the traditional hi, my name is Kim, I recruit, blah, 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 to getting creative and fun and innovative. Um, but we do do other types of training on that. Um, I met a woman who, um, that's kind of her thing that she does, Hannah Pryor, uh, through Pinnacle. Um, I've and heard of her, yeah. Yeah, she's, she was a recruiter and realized the gap in writing and just the impact of the way that you, you phrase things. Um, and little tweaks here and there. So I have a group of us here that do her ongoing training program, and then we help others within the organization with that. Um, part of our process is regardless of how long you've been here, when you start a search, you email the account manager, your phone pitch, your voicemail, and your email with three subject lines. And then we work together on what that should look like. And it helps them understand what's the selling points of the company. Um, it also helps them to learn what I tweak and then we go over anything I tweak so that then they can learn from that for the next time. And we also share subject lines that perform. So it's uh, one of the things you get from Henna is a hundred subject lines. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. So we've been A-B testing things and seeing what works and, you know, some of the bullpens will scream out a couple different ones they're trying for the week or put it up on their whiteboard. Um, so we've gotten, we've made it fun to test new things and get out of your comfort zone. Um, and really, I mean, we are in a marketing business and we need to understand marketing. Kim? You are my kind of woman. Um, this is <laughs> because it's so funny to hear you say that because I think this is a real mind shift for recruiters and recruitment business owners is to realize, yes, you're great at recruiting, but that is not the skill set that's going to drive results at a business level. You need to realize that you, you know, the, the most successful uh, recruitment business owners, recruiters are the ones who are the best at marketing yes. rather than, you know, uh, recruiting per se. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and so rather than shy away from that, you just need to embrace it and yeah. look at it as a challenge. I love the fact that you have training specifically for writing. You've got training for like every aspect of your business. You, yeah. You're developing those processes and you have training to support it. I also love the fact that your recruiters, before they reach out to a candidate, they need to, um, internally, yeah. you know, validate their pitch, yes. their email, their voicemail, and so on. Why would you not do that? Like, it just, it's crazy to me recruiters just get on the phone and they wing it. Yes. Why would you wing it when you, like, why not rehearse it, practice it, refine it, right. sharpen it, make it even better if it can improve your conversion and the interest you get from candidates, you know, that's going to result in X number of more placements per year. 
Absolutely. You know, it just it uh, it makes sense. As hard as it is to get a yeah, candidate yeah. these days, the um, last thing you want to do is botch it when you get them on the phone, right? <laughs> so right, absolutely. What um, is there anything else that you feel has been a success factor or contributed to you being a top performer, Kim? That others could model. I. I think one of the things that um, comes up a lot when people talk to me um, about like, how are you doing this or how can you get all of this done in one day or um, those types of things, I think that people um, don't spend enough time looking at their day or planning or time blocking or um, the organizational aspect. As salespeople, we're, you know, we'll make calls, we'll we'll do our thing, but then we start a search and we might get lost in that search for an hour or two. Or something else, you know, we follow the shiny ball kind of of mentality. And, you know, whatever is exciting us because that's what drives us, we we gravitate toward. Um, I think planning and being able to get through a day and being productive for the solid eight hours, 10 hours, whatever your day looks like. If people truly look at what they accomplish in a day, I guarantee you they can fit more in if they really look at what those activities are. And, you know, I have recruiters that I know that that happens to. So I have them set a timer on their phone for one hour of sourcing. And then when that alarm goes off, you are on the phone and making those calls, you know, and making sure you're getting to people. Sourcing 200 of the best candidates doesn't fill a job talking to candidates and getting them over fills the job. So I think a lot of people um, can can pull themselves away from the money activity because there's other things that are more comfortable or more um, engaging for them as an individual and um, establishing those habits of being highly active during my work day is I think one of the things that allows me to, to continuously be successful in this industry. Absolutely. Good answer. And I like the timer idea. I think that's called the Pomodoro technique. Yes. That's what I've heard Pomodoro is like. And uh, setting a timer helps you to stay focused and concentrate Mm -hmm. because you see that the, the minutes ticking down and it's almost like you've got that deadline to really concentrate. Right. You can't get distracted and it helps you to stay. Cause I think the biggest um, thing that drains people's productivity is they start one thing and then they go, Oh, and they get distracted and go on to something else. And then they go right. into something else. And before you know it, there's five or six things that they've started, but not actually closed any of those open loops. Um, is there a particular time of the day that you think about your day and do your planning or how does that? Yeah, I like to come in um, before everyone in the morning mm-hmm. and have a little quiet time so that I can look over everything, um, go through anything that's still pending from the night before. I do do a, a kind of an internal debrief each day, but in all actuality, by the end of the day, I don't trust that I remembered everything till the next day. Um, so I go back through everything in the morning and I do plan out my day. Um, I also am very big on doing that multiple times a day. So I do that first thing in the morning, say 7, 7.30. Um, and then at lunchtime, I'm going through what I should have had accomplished by then 
following up, you know, if I have four interview requests in my inbox from the day before and the recruiters haven't gotten back to me, well, where are we with this? Get back on the phone with them. Have we confirmed this? Did we prep this? You know, all of those types of things. Um, And then I do that again before I leave so that there isn't somebody waiting on something that I could have wrapped up before the day's over. That's smart because we all know that you start out with a plan, but then you get into the day and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff yeah. happens that wasn't in your plan. A hundred percent. You're recalibrating and re- yes. refreshing your plan throughout the day. That's yes. smart. Kim, this has been so much fun. I feel like we've only scratched the surface, so maybe <laughs> we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. But, anytime. Um, it was Fantastic. my pleasure. Thank you so much for- Thank you. But, oh, I need to ask you, because yeah. I was uh, curious. You, you've got- Four grandchildren. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Amazing. What ages are they? I have a granddaughter that's 16. I have a grandson that's nine. And I have a grandson that's five and one that's four. Wow. Yeah. That's quite a a range. That's amazing. And then- your furry kids. Yes. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So um, for years, I ran a nonprofit uh, called Forever Free that helped families in economic hardship to keep their pets. So we raised funds to pay for surgeries, um, spay and neuter, vaccines, you name it, uh, because I had volunteered in animal shelters and realized there were so many people that were good people and good pet owners that financially fell on hard times. Um, So naturally during that, I started to accumulate pets. Um, So right now I have two dogs and two cats, and that's usually my mix. Um, So I have a very old little dog that comes to work with me every day. And uh, then I have a one and a half year old shepherd mix and two kitty cats at home. Wow. That sounds mad. Yeah, it is. You only have one cat and that's already- Wreaking havoc. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He yesterday just caught a mouse and my wife freaks out when that happens. I'm the designated uh, disposer of the yes. mouse corpse. But yes. uh, anyway. He's doing his Kim, job, this though. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been. It was so great spending time with you today. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.